0: Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we're going to be recapping the NBA Finals. Game three in particular as the Miami Heat and the Los Angeles Lakers squared up. It's all coming up, the biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA.
1: You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.
0: Hello and welcome back to another week of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast and of the Locked On AFL Podcast. I'm the lead analyst at basketballmonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. Today's episode is also brought to you by Built Bar. Go to builtbar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your next order. So we're looking back at Game 3 of the NBA Finals. I'm joined by the host of the Locked On Lakers podcast, Anthony Irwin, is here with me. The Lakers, of course, had won the first two games relatively comfortably, Anthony. uh, In this one, things did not go their way, going down to the Miami Heat, 115-104. I'm going to talk more about the heat side of things with uh, with David a little bit later on. But from a, a Lakers perspective, you know, what's the overall takeaway from this performance T- to go down in Game 3? Which it, it very often happens that a team that loses the first two games can get back for Game 3. We've seen that happen plenty of times in the bubble. Was it just Anthony Davis's foul trouble was, was the, the big issue? Was it you know, shots not going in, which is you know, how it sort of appeared from the, the outside? What, what's the big problem here for the Lakers from this game?
1: Hey... <laughs> So, not to diminish what Miami did tonight, and especially Jimmy Butler, who, you know, put together, as Woj would call it, what would he call it? A ah uh, man, what did tour, he tour say de force. when he? Oh, what's that? Tour de force. There you go. There you go. So, as as Woj would say, Butler put together a tour de force performance. Uh, I'm not going to take away from that. Like, I, I honestly, like when you when you see a performance like that. Uh, when Miami is missing Goran Dragic and they're missing Bam Adebayo, and uh, those guys help build the identity of that team to the point where it is like I could I, I I'm not I just don't want to take away from it. So I really want to give credit to Miami and uh, them winning, even though you know the Lakers have played with their food all year. Whenever it seems like things are really going in their way. They'll drop one really, you know, kind of really stupid game or whatever. And, and as much as I could just kind of write this game off on that, I just, I think it would be really missing the point because Jimmy Butler was absolutely incredible going 14 of 20 from the, from the field, getting to the line uh, for, for 14 total free throws. And, and then, you know, as he's doing that also, uh, accruing 13 assists to 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 create at least 26 extra points, probably more than that. I, I just, you know, the 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 tendency in a game like this is just to say like, yeah, yeah the Lakers just play dumb, or, or 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 to blame the Lakers for a game like this. But but sometimes a great player puts together a great game that lifts everybody around him, and I feel like that was the case tonight with Jimmy Butler. It's, yeah,
0: Jimmy Butler was great. was fantastic. But it's not like the Lakers were at their best. Um, and it doesn't help when you're starting two and you're starting three. Uh, one of 11 in KCP and Danny Grant, who were both, they weren't great in game two. I'd say they were worse in this one. Danny Green, with the hip problem, uh, only played 17 minutes in this game. He was uh, he was way off. Rondo, who'd been shooting the ball really well throughout the playoffs, was just at 25% in this one. Didn't hit a three. I think that hurts as well. And Dwight Howard was uh, was was struggling. He was a minus 15 in his 15 minutes. The KCP and Danny Green issue, I think, is something that it does bear. Uh, mentioning because it is two games in a row now that they've both struggled a little bit and in games where the Lakers have had the significant the the, the massive talent advantage without Adebayo and Dragic and these guys have really have really struggled to put it together with their shot is that just a, a variance thing what what are we what are we making of those two and their plays is there anything the Lakers can do to help fix that problem I mean what what else you got to
1: do to, to, to get people to make open shots, right? You can lead a horse to water, but if they aren't drinking, then, then that's really all you can do. I, I, I do think uh, when it comes to the Lakers, this is the first game that they have lost all postseason season uh, in which they make more than 30% of their three pointers. And uh, even there, they shoot 33% from three-point range, 14 of 42. So they're maybe a couple misses away from being under uh, 30% for for the night. Uh, in terms of what the Lakers can do, I I don't really know. Like this is this is the kind of night that they ran into against the Blazers. This is the kind of night that they ran into against. Uh, against Houston this is the kind of night that they would run again run into against Houston or uh, Denver when they were going up against that team and and like if the Lakers shooters the guys who are there to spread the floor for AD and for LeBron James aren't making their jumpers it makes the Lakers extremely easy to guard and then you know as great as the Lakers defense is if you're Like the the lakers defense a lot of times benefits just like their offense benefits from uh getting a stop and getting out in transition well their defense also benefits from scoring more often than they don't when they go down there on offense and allowing the, the it allows the defense to get set up and you know identify what they have to do conceptually and in this one when you shoot as poorly as the lakers did uh, or or don't get as many rebounds. I think they only had yeah only 11 offensive rebounds, 32 total rebounds on the night uh, that's you know they they, they got out rebounded by by Miami. It's just again, I you could say it's it's the kind of night that you could say where, the Lakers just got out hustled and, and out wanted by Miami and it would make it seem like the Lakers lost more than Miami won. And I just feel like that would take away from what it was that Jimmy Butler did tonight. So I don't know. I, I just think the, the the focus should be on Jimmy Butler. He, he played his ass off and I think the, the focus should be there.
0: Yeah, he absolutely did. Now um, in terms of stopping Jimmy Butler, that's, that's a question. For the Lakers, now you say that you, know, you can get KCP and Danny Green to hit more shots, but you could also th- throw a little bit more Alex Caruso in there. Maybe you activate Dion Waiters. That's obviously scraping you know, close to the bottom of the barrel, but there is some other right. shooting yeah. guard options in there that maybe, with the, especially if Green is you're particularly hobbled, which he appears to be, and the shots just aren't going in, then maybe maybe getting someone who actually is knocking down a shop and moving a little bit more free uh, like waiters could be that option. But in terms of guarding Jimmy Butler and shutting him down, because it really is the key, because he's generating everything. He's generating not only shots for himself, but basically the entire offense when he's out there. And in the, in the three minutes when he doesn't play, yeah, the the team his, he was they were negative nine in those three minutes that Butler wasn't on the, wasn't on the court. So how do they look to try and slow down the impact Jimmy's having? Because he's getting to the line whenever he wants, and that's what his game is. He gets to the line, so he gets to the rim, and then he gets to the line. So you've got to prevent him from getting to getting to the rim. What options do they have there in terms of being able to at least nullify or reduce that impact that Butler's having?
1: Well, at no point during that game or very. You know, it didn't really happen often at all. And I think it's because AD had the four fouls that he was dealing with. But usually if a player is out physically in the Lakers, they'll throw AD on him just to, you know, AD is the most gifted uh defender physically in the entire league. So if a player is, is, really disrupting what the Lakers are trying to do defensively to the extent that AD or that uh, Jimmy Butler was, they'll usually throw AD on him, but because of AD's foul trouble, that's not really an option. So uh, I I think that's one thing that if a, if if Jimmy Butler really gets onto the role that he was going, that, that he had going in, in tonight's game, I'm sure that's something that Vogel would probably look at more, but you know, to a certain extent, this is where LeBron, you know, he finishes with only two personal fouls, and, and one of those was in about the last
0: minute. What's that? One of those fouls was in the last minute or so.
1: Right, right. So, like, this is where I, I think LeBron should probably take a, a, a chunk of the blame here, too. Because, like, yes, he's, he's a little bit older than Jimmy Butler. But not by much, though. Only by a couple of years. And and you would think that if somebody is really giving the Lakers a hard time and, and ad is in foul trouble, that's where LeBron would maybe take up the challenge. And, and I think you could say the uh, the same thing when it comes to the opposite side of the court where you know uh, ad needs to do more than 15 points and five rebounds total on a night. Like I, I think the Lakers are only going to go as far as LeBron and AD take them. And I, I, I think quite frankly, Jimmy Butler getting off the way he does, first and foremost, you got to give credit to him for playing the way that he did. But when you're looking from the Lakers perspective for reasons why he was able to do that, I think, I think
0: LeBron's got to take a, a, a nice chunk of that blame there. Well, it is, at least we've got the series looking a little bit more interesting now, Anthony. Two to one. One last question before I let you go here on the Lakers, and that is um, Markeith Morris really stepped up. We'll, we'll talk, you know, negative stuff about some of these Lakers players, but Markeith Morris really stepped up in this one. 25 minutes, 19 points. He hit five triples. He was a much better option out there than Dwight Howard was. Um, we've seen Vogel make plenty of changes to the starting lineup here, going with McGee, McGee out of the rotation, Howard out of the rotation, Howard starting... Do you see this? You know, Dwight Howard playing the nominal Javale McGee starting role being something that continues, and we just get a lot more of the Mark Heath at Center type lineups, or is this more of a of a one off? You know, hot shooting night from Morris, but he seemed a lot. It seemed to make a lot more sense with Markieff out there tonight.
1: Yeah, I, I think Morris offers you a lot. You know, the Lakers were down most of the game, and you know when you find yourself in a hole like that. So they were down three at the end of one. Down four at the end of two, uh, down three at the end. of... Lakers were even or or even or you know obviously carried a lead against the, the Heat. And in a game like that, you're saying, well, all right, let's try to find a way to outscore them. And I think Morris's shooting from three-point range allows the Lakers to do some of that. But even there, uh, you would you would hope especially with bam out that the Lakers would be able to take, you know, further advantage of the Myers Leonard's and the Kelly, Linux of the world. And they, they weren't able to do that. And, and I think that has the lo- a lot to do with ad's foul trouble. I think, I think Morris's 25 minutes was more a factor of the fact that AD was only, only able to play 33 than it was Dwight Howard uh, and, 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 you know, not, only playing his 15, but even there, you know, Dwight Howard, a lot of his minutes in the previous series was to disrupt Nikola Jokic. And in this series, it's to disrupt Bam out of bio. And with Bam not out there, I think it's kind of difficult for the Lakers to find a use for Dwight Howard. So I could maybe see if, if Bam doesn't play again, uh in this series i could see maybe the lakers going further away from dwight howard just for the simple fact that like he doesn't really serve a purpose out there he could play against myers leonard but leonard is probably going to do more damage against dwight than dwight is going to do against uh against leonard same thing goes for kelly O'Linnick where both of those both uh Olenek and myers leonard those guys are going to pull dwight out to the three-point line where he's not very comfortable and if Dwight is under there and his sole purpose is to get the offensive rebounds or just to finish kind of garbage around the rim, well, you could do the same thing with AD there if he's not in foul trouble and then have a more open court with Markeith Morris playing instead of Dwight Howard. So I think if, if we see Bam again this series, we'll probably see more of Dwight. If we don't see Bam again this series and the Lakers lose again, which I don't I still don't think is going to happen, but if the Lakers lose again and and Bam isn't out there, I think we I, I think we do see Vogel move completely away from Dwight and just basically stick with the Lakers version of small ball, which is which is
0: still bigger than most teams big balls. Well, big balls indeed, <laughs> Anthony. You, you're gonna you're gonna cover all of this for us over on Locked On Lakers throughout the uh, throughout the week and the rest of the NBA Finals. Thanks for coming on Locked On NBA with me today. Uh, par- pardon, <laughs> pardon the uh, poor phrasing there at the end, but but thanks for having me. It can be really tough talking about erectile dysfunction. Guys will often try to just brush it off, you know, had a hard day at work, stressed, I'm tired, this never happens, all that sort of stuff, but it's a medical condition and you need to talk with a real healthcare professional. And with Roman, it's easy to do that. They have real healthcare professionals who can prescribe you real medication for erectile dysfunction. It's simple, it's safe, and it's totally discreet. With Roman, you get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. And if medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. So go to GetRoman.com slash NBA today. And if approved, you'll get fifteen dollars off your first order of ED treatment. That's getroman.com slash locked on NBA. GetRoman.com slash on NBA. Now let's look at the other side of the NBA finals. The Miami Heat get their first win in these finals. David Romel from Locked On Heat is here with me. I'll just start this with one question, David. It's not even a question, it's just two words. It's Jimmy Butler.
2: Yeah, that's the the right two words to sum up this game. Uh, Clearly the best player on the court, and that's saying something considering you have two MVP candidates in LeBron James and Anthony Davis, but Jimmy Butler refusing to let the Miami Heat get swept, uh, having as dominant a performance as we've seen in franchise history.
0: Now, you may know this number off the top of your head, but how many threes do you reckon Jimmy Butler attempted tonight?
2: I know he had zero attempts from three-point range.
0: Yeah, so he had 40 points, 11 rebounds, 13 assists, two steals and two blocks, didn't take a single three. That is absolutely playing to your strengths. He was 14 of uh, 20 from the field. He was... uh, 12 of 14 from the free throw line, just doing whatever he wanted, really. And not only was he scoring 40 of the 115 points, but he was setting up uh, pretty much everyone else on this team. His leadership is has been ridiculously good for this team all year. And now without Goran Dragic and Bam Adebayo, he's willed them to a, a game three victory. He didn't do it 100% alone because there were some big performances from other members of this team. But anything else you want to add on uh, on Jimmy Butler and uh, and his game here?
2: Well, it was just fantastic. I mean, it was incredible to see. I I wonder whether or not it's something he can duplicate in the series, which kind of separates him from other quote-unquote superstars or top 15 players in the league, is that I'm not sure we'll see this dominant performance from him throughout the rest of the series. But at least for one night, it was enough. It could provide that kind of inspirational spark that this team seems to thrive off of.
0: He had, a, I think, a 40-point game even against the Milwaukee Bucks in that series. And then yeah, the other one. games, yeah, he had, like, 20s and, and, and maybe even one under 20. So he did drop off there, but other players stepped up. Now, some of those other players who have stepped up without Bam and without Dragic, Kelly Linick has been massive in the two games. He had 17 here. He had 20-plus in game two. Another seven rebounds, three triples, really causing problems for Dwight Howard uh, on the Lakers. Um he's not obviously going to have this sizable a role when Adebayo returns, which is probably going to be in game four. But Olenek has just been a huge portion of not only keeping it close in game Two, but getting the victory here.
2: Absolutely. He's just been much more physical than I would have anticipated. He seems to have a knack for at least annoying Davis and Howard to some degree. He puts himself in the right position more often than not. And he doesn't seem particularly fleet of foot, but he's, on occasion, he was even able to stymie a couple LeBron James drives to the hoop. So he's been pretty solid defensively overall, and offensively he's been great. And I think that's always been – you're never quite sure what to get out of Kelly. His his biggest problem throughout his whole career, even prior to his joining Miami, even when he was with the Celtics, was his inconsistency. He's always been capable of real great games On occasion, And then he'll have a 25 point outing and then a four point outing the following game. This is the the bubble Kelly version that we saw earlier in the playoffs and in the seeding games when he was just shooting so well, making place for others, able to put the ball down for a legit seven footer. He's pretty agile in getting to the hoop. And you saw a lot of that on display in game three.
0: What do we make of Tyler Hero, who has stepped up into the starting lineup for uh, Goran Dragic in each of the last two games? but he hasn't really been able to get going. And i say that. He's averaged 14, or he's 14 17, and 17 as his scoring output. But the shooting hasn't been there. He's been at uh, 33%. In fact, an identical 6 of 18 in Game 1 and Game 3. He was at 42% in Game 2. The passing numbers uh, and the assist numbers are well down from where they'd been in the other games. He Has he been a little bit overawed, do you think, in these games? Uh was it just asking a little bit too much of a rookie shooting guard to handle the starting point guard job in the NBA Finals?
2: I don't think it has been, to be honest. I don't think that's the concern. He's always seemed like he's been able to live up to these incredible expectations. He didn't shy away from the pressure of being a starter or coming off the bench and putting up big points, so I don't think that's the issue. Honestly, I have to tip my hat to the Lakers defenders here just because there is so much size there that I think both he and Robinson have been forced to adjust their shooting rhythm they're they're trying to to me it seems like they're trying to get their shot off at a higher point of release because if not they're going to get their shot blocked like they're they, they keep seeming like they're a little concerned we're getting their shot blocked, and and, and that's why their their rhythm seems to be a little bit off. They're rushing their shots, again, trying to release it a little higher. So there's no comfortable rhythm in their shot, and that's why they've both been struggling from the field. At least that's my perspective. I mean, n- neither player is going to admit to that being the case, but that's just my sense of watching both of them throughout the course of the season and watching how comfortable they've been offensively. It's just so difficult to get that shot over a Danny Green type or a Rajon Rondo or Contavious Caldwell-Popes long defender Of course, if if you get a switch on Anthony Davis or LeBron James, you might as well not even consider taking that shot. So there's absolutely been some moments there where it looks like they're just really aware of the fact that those big defenders are in their way and preventing that shot from getting as comfortable as possible.
0: We've all tasted protein bars. They don't taste nice. They taste like sawdust mixed with cement, mixed with dirt, whatever terrible substance you can think of. That's how they normally taste, but not anymore because Built Bar is back. Not only are they back with their original 12 flavors, the best tasting protein bars you'll ever find, but they've brought in six new ones as well, and that gives us 18 amazing flavors. Caramel Brownie, Cookies and Cream, Cherry Barsia, Lemon Almond Cheesecake, Carrot Cake, and Apple Almond Crisp on the menu for Built Bar. These are the protein bars that taste just like candy bars. They are great if you're looking to lose or maintain weight. Low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and high fiber bars. For example, their new coconut almond bar, 18 grams of protein, 180 calories, and just 5 grams of sugar and 5 grams of net carbs. You couldn't ask for a better nutritional profile in any sort of protein bar, and they taste fantastic, covered in 100% chocolate. Go to builtbar.com, use the promo code locked on, and you'll get $10 off your next order. The promo code is locked on, and that is $10 off at builtbar.com. In game two, I thought there was a chance that maybe that the 10-point margin flattered Miami. Mm-hmm. They were had double the free-throw attempts of the Lakers, and that seemed like it was an unsustainable number. They hit them at, at a ridiculously high rate. They did that again, 91% from the line. In this game, you look at it, they shot just 35% from three. So it wasn't an outlier, a you know, huge three-point shooting night. They had fewer free-throw attempts than the Lakers, so that wasn't the thing. But what they did is their two-point conversion numbers were ridiculous, 63%. On their two-point attempts, how much of that was you know, a little bit of luck in terms of you know, mid-ranges and long twos going in? How much of that was them getting to the rim at a rate which they don't normally get? Like, is there an explanation as to how they were able to be so successful from two-point range in this game?
2: I think a lot of that just had to do with Butler. I mean, 14 of 20, that's the thats the huge difference maker. Yeah. No surprise there. I mean, you saw the array of shots he was putting up. Those bankers, uh, just comfortable in getting to the rim, pulling up in mid-range and, and just knocking those down so fluidly. Kind of what we saw from Anthony Davis in the first two games where he's got that mid-range shot falling as easily as he does. So I think that's a huge part of that. Other than Jimmy, I can't recall too many other players that were as effective in the mid-range. I, I think Duncan Robinson had a layup. Tyler here, obviously, he's, he's very good. And Jay Crowder. I got to give credit to Crowder now that I'm thinking about it. He was able to... Get a couple of back cuts there where he was just freed from space. You're, you're so aware of him as a shooter because he's been so good from that in the postseason. But today, again, struggling with that Lakers defense, he was able to find some way of putting the ball down on occasion, which is something you never really are quite comfortable seeing Jay dribble out of a situation there and try to get to the rim. But he looked comfortable doing it today, and he, he had a couple of layups. So that's uh, always welcome to see.
0: Your number one coaching instruction for game four is Jimmy Butler. You know, Don't miss. And do everything yeah. like you did. So that, that, that's that's your number one thing. But outside of that, outside of you, know, just Jimmy, you, you go and do what you need to do. How much of what happened in this game is replicable? Assuming we get one of Goran and Bam back, how how much of what happened in this game? can be replicable. The Lakers had like 10 turnovers in the first quarter. Anthony Davis got into early foul trouble. So there's room, I can see, for the Lakers to improve. But what can the Heat continue to do to keep themselves at a level where a game could be a 50-50 proposition? I
2: think, honestly, they kind of figured out in that second half of Game 2... A way of tweaking their defense, and and this is something that Spolstra has mentioned quite a bit, is that you know we're we're also concerned about when the heat go man or the heat go zone, and then more often than not, it just takes a matter of actually having an incredible effort and in closing out with intent. And we saw that they had so many multiple switches and just guys constantly rotating and moving. And while that's probably exhausting their season's going to end soon enough if they don't continue to do that and so I think we saw in the second half as you pointed out in game two where they were kind of evening things out and were able to chip into what was at one point an 18 point lead and cut that down to half and then in game one obviously I'm game three excuse me they were still able to maintain that early on Uh, It's obviously much more of an issue when you have Myers Leonard who's so slow out there you can't really have him do much other than kind of try to attach himself to Dwight Howard on occasion but without Leonard in the game if he got us smaller lineup with Olinic and, and uh, Iguodala and Crowder, et cetera, you have all these players constantly rotating. So I think that's the key to their defense and it's worked very well. I mean, look, the Lakers still shot 43% from the field, so that's not bad. But considering how well they were at shooting at the rim and in the restricted area, that's a huge improvement. And so I think Miami has done a, a really good job of tweaking that. And I think it's only going to improve when you have as mobile a player and as good a rebounder as, as Bam Adebayo. He's a guy who can certainly shift things in your direction uh, and, and I think it's... It's going to be a huge
0: advantage for Miami in Game Four. So let's talk about Bam and Goran Dragic. What's the latest on them? Because after Game Two, the uh, report straight away I think it was from Chris Haynes that Bam Adebayo is planning to play in Game Three, and then he was listed as doubtful. And I thought, oh, maybe they're just you know, playing around. He's going to be out there, but no, he didn't play. So uh, are we likely to see both guys back? Goran back? Bam back? Neither. Look, where are we at the early early ideas here for Game Four?
2: Well. You know, in kind of a departure for the team, Miami has been very, very resistant to let them play. Both players, Goran even at 34 with a, a plantar fascia tear that would likely hurt anybody of any age, has been insistent on wanting to play and make an impact. And at the same time, the Heat have been telling him, no, we can't let you go out there because this is going to damage not just your career, but your overall health. And, and so they've been holding him off. Bam also wanted to play. Um and this was spolster pregame saying that it was very difficult for him as a coach, as a, a leader of these people, and also as a member of this organization to tell two of their greatest competitors, sorry, you can't actually go out there and compete, especially in a situation like this. And so, My feeling is that it's much more likely that Bam returns in game four. I also thought he was going to be playing today. And from everything I'd heard from people around the team, it seemed like he was likely to be there in game three. And eventually they just decided it was too much pain and they didn't want to risk it becoming even worse. If there's any kind of improvement and there has been so far, it's just been very small. If there's a a significant amount of improvement, like he's going to deal with some pain regardless, just because at this point in the season, I think everybody's going through some discomfort, but as long as it's minimal, he'll be out there and available in game 4. I just I don't see Goron being able to make that same return probably later on. If Miami can win a couple games, even out the series, maybe make this the series go 5, 6 games, then there's an increased likelihood for Dragic to play, but at this point in time, it seems much less likely, much more likely however that Bam returns in game 4.
0: That's sort of how I'm seeing it too and trying to read the tea leaves of these reports as to who is likely to be in there. Um, it's going to make the series super interesting. Of course, those guys played in game one and that wasn't all that interesting, but that's what happens when guys go down in the middle of a game. It's a lot harder to adjust than if you know that they're not going to be playing uh, at the beginning of a game. So that does change things somewhat. 2-1 here uh, for the Lakers. The Heat... On the board and uh, now with a huge renewed sense of confidence, David, you're going to have a lot of this stuff and all of the Miami perspective for us over on Locked On Heat. Thank you for coming on Locked On NBA with me.
2: Always a pleasure.
0: And that brings us to the end of another episode of Locked On NBA. Don't forget to subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It's one of the best ways that you can help us get this show out to more people. Share it with your friends. Tell everybody about it. Follow me on Twitter as well, at RedRock underscore Beeble. Guys, thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.